you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. He's alive. He's on the throne. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. I'm going to be uh, spending a lot of time in Scripture tonight. I think that may be the purpose of Bible study. And we're going to get into the Scripture tonight and uh, be talking about a subject that often raises many, many questions and sometimes... uh, Some have ability to answer and some cannot. And so tonight I'm going to try to stay free of opinion and take you to the Word of God and answer uh, some questions tonight about salvation and speaking with other tongues. There is a subject for the ages. And a lot of folks have a lot of questions. And so tonight I'm going to open the Word of the Lord and... uh, When I went back to Brother Mike before service and began to give him scripture, um, he filled up an entire page with just the scriptural references. He was relieved to know that we may not get it all finished tonight. And so we're going to go uh, into the word of the Lord and um, I will try to pay attention to how you're doing tonight. I don't want to bore you because I could be inspired on a subject. But if you're not inspired on the same subject, we could have tension between the pulpit and the pew. My father used to say, the mind can only comprehend what the seat is able to endure. And so I'm going to try to be mindful of that tonight as we approach the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin with verse number 1, and we're going to read most of Acts chapter 2, particularly the part that is clearly related to the subject matter. If you are a note taker, if you are sincere about learning, get out your pen and paper, get out your phone. I am going to trust that you're not texting, Facebooking, playing games, whatever, and that you are taking notes. If you need paper and pen, if you will raise your hand, one of the ushers will be glad to assist you in getting paper and pen. You believe me, I have so many scriptures tonight that you're going to want to take notes. So you can use your tablet, you can use your whatever device you have, or if you need pen and paper and do it the old-fashioned way, just raise your hand and they will be glad to assist you with paper and pen so you can take notes. You do want to do so. Here's why. Because for some, this will be the first time you've heard this. And for others, it's going to be old hat. So why should you be here? Because the scripture teaches that we are to lift one another up in our most holy, build one another up in our most holy faith. And so therefore, I believe in studying the scripture, studying the word of God, and strengthening our understanding in the doctrine, in the Word of God, that it will help us in our walk with God. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has days where my faith is weak. It's all right for you to say amen on a Wednesday night. And uh, it's those times. I was talking to uh, Dylan this week, and uh, by the way, we have a whole crew tonight that you're missing And they are working at the Delphi Avenue building tonight doing some cleaning and preparation. 
uh, for we have a very serious walkthrough tomorrow with a potential purchase of that property. And so they are helping us by preparing the building. And so Dylan is one of those that are there tonight. But I was talking to him this week about going through seasons and going through times when the Lord is not speaking. Uh, I talked to him about a season in my life where the Lord spoke to me often for a very long period of time. And then a season that I went a very, very long time without ever hearing the audible voice of God, without feeling like God impressed anything on me. And at that time, if I needed to hear a word from the Lord, the only way I was going to do it was to listen to preaching or to get out the Bible and study. And even in doing so, I did not feel or sense inspiration. Anybody ever been there? I did not sense or feel inspiration. And these things can cause you after nearly 30 years of ministry and a lifetime of sitting on a church pew. My father was pastoring a church when I was born. I grew up on a church pew. All I've ever known is truth preaching and teaching. And when you go through these seasons that for some reason the Lord is not talking to you and you're talking to the Lord but he's not saying anything back and you're not inspired you can study the scripture and it just seems like it's just it's you're just not sensing the inspiration you're praying you're fasting you're doing whatever you need to do but you don't feel that it's and those moments is when we truly have to put the scripture to test that we walk by faith and not by sight and the only way you can walk by faith is that you have grounded your life in the Word of God. And if you haven't grounded your life in the Word of God, at those times, people will fall. They will leave the church, leave the faith, walk away from God because they have not grounded themselves in the Word of God and live by the, by the faith of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so this lesson tonight is to teach, to instruct, hopefully you are learning, or maybe I'm just building up your most holy faith tonight. So Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, I'm going to read a long, uh, a long space of time here, so I don't want to bore you. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, Acts 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Remember now, this is the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was glorified and said, said I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The words of Jesus as he is ascended. And so as he ascends on the Mount of Olives and is is ascends into heaven and they witness him ascended in, ascending into heaven. The 120 gather in the upper room and they have a prayer meeting and as they are in a prayer meeting, uh, something happens. Acts 2 tells us what happens there. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first time in Scripture where we find the Holy Spirit being poured out and people speaking with tongues. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Watch this now. Every nation under heaven is represented here. Now when they heard this was noised abroad. The multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Watch now. They heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. And here goes the list of all the different places that people were gathered from. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in parts of Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them in our own tongues, speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocked say, and said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, pause, this is the moment that Peter, the apostle Peter, begins to preach to the group of people. All right, so he begins to preach. Peter stood up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing as it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. He now quotes the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great day and notable day before the great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Watch, let me help you now. I'm going to read some more. We're going to pick up in verse 37. The Apostle Peter goes on and preaches a message, but I want to stay with my topic. But I want to, I want to point out something about verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are entire doctrines built on that one scripture that says, see, all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you are saved. That is not what the scripture says. It just told us what happened on the day of Pentecost. And then verse 21 says, and it shall come to pass. Because remember, this is the first day a prayer meeting turns into an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They, the 120 speaks with tongues. People come and hear them speaking in languages that they knew they did not know. And yet they could hear and understand. There was a language there. So people from all parts of the world are hearing people speak in a language they didn't know yet. They're understanding them and they're speaking the works of God. Peter stood up and answered questions and said, no, these aren't drunk because some said they were. They aren't drunk, but this is the prophet, Joel's writings that's being fulfilled in Scripture. And he goes on and said, and it's going to come to pass that there's going to be an end time. And in the end time, he describes it and says, this is what the end time, the end of the world is going to look like. And at that point, it's going to come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. The point is, Salvation is not just for the Jews. That's what he's saying. He's saying whosoever. So for every nation under the sun. So all of those nations that are there hearing them speak that God is trying to confirm something in them that it's not just for one generation, not for one nationality, not for one ethnicity, not for one group of people, but for whosoever. And if they'll call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. So people who build doctrines and say all you got to do is confess the name of the Lord and you're saved. It is not in Scripture. There's nowhere in Scripture that says all you got to do is just confess and you are automatically saved. The Apostle Peter is dealing with a complete subject matter and is preaching a message and injects something that makes it sound like nothing else is important. All you got to do is just say, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. There's more to salvation than just believing. It's part of salvation. So I'm going to be spending some time over the next few weeks teaching on the steps 
and orders of salvation. And we're going, to be, we're going to be studying this. So let's pick up on verse 37 because Peter preaches. Some of the things are not relevant to our topic tonight. Very relevant, but not relevant to our topic tonight. So I'm going to pick up with verse 37. As Peter ends his sermon that day while he's standing up, he preaches on through and he ends his sermon. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Conviction had fallen upon them and they wanted to be saved. And so they're saying, what shall we do? They responded to the preached message that Peter preached standing up. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thus, where Bible doctrine for salvation comes from. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repentance is what you have to do. It's godly sorrow that works repentance. Crying about sin is not repentance in of itself, but it leads to. The word repent means a made-up mind of turning from evil ways, wicked ways, and go in another direction. That's what the word really means. It's a military term that, a term that says an about face, go in a different direction. So when you repent, truly repent of your sins, when you are baptized, and it gives us the formula, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, then there is a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you. He's preaching to them on the day of Pentecost. Some say, well, no, this tongue-talking thing was just for the day of Pentecost. Watch, the preacher on the day of Pentecost says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, so their children and their children, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So as long as God's still calling men to repentance, the promise of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is still relevant for that day. Verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort. So there's a lot more to the sermon that did not get, that did not get written down. All right. So with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from the untoward, this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word, what? They were baptized. They were baptized. So what about that verse 21? Whosoever called on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Those that believed that word were baptized. So they that received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So the church jumps from 120 to about 3,000 being added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teachings and fellowship, meaning they stayed together, they stayed in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So they prayed together, they ate together, they fellowshiped together, and they studied the Word together. That's all good things to do. The church ought to do that together. In these days when we live, in which we live, people are afraid to come together. Listen, online is only going to suffice so far and your soul will begin to become thirsty and dry. We've got to be together. I know, I know, I know this is not popular and I'm not here on a political subject tonight at all, but I must inject to you. I heard some states are mandating that only eight people can get together for Thanksgiving and 10 people can get together in other places for Thanksgiving. I'm going to tell you that I am hearing from people who because of what's going on in our world are suffering emotionally. People are becoming suicidal. They are social. They are they are suffering emotionally, and and all this screaming that we must stay apart. I I, I understand, but fear must not rule. Get together with your family on the holidays. Get together. Trust the Lord. Get together. We must not live in fear. We must not live in fear. So they were together. They fellowshiped. They broke bread together. So with many other words did, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from the war generation. They that received the word were baptized. They were added 3,000. They continued steadfast in the apostle doctrine 
And fear came upon every soul. That word fear means reverence. Came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So miracles and signs and wonders began to happen by the hands of the apostles. I'm glad we are in Acts chapter 2 kind of church. I still believe in the laying on of hands that God will heal the sick and raise them up. I still believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. As a matter of fact, this week, I don't know if Sister Jen uh, Hopper is here. She contacted us yesterday. We've been praying for Brother Andy Hopper, and we haven't said a whole lot about it. They had found a mass on his kidney. They thought that it was cancer. They have been treating it as cancer. Uh, the first doctor he went to immediately wanted to open up and do surgery and remove the kidney. And they said, we want to get a second opinion before you do this. He's been through all sorts of things. They came back this week and said the mass that was on the kidney has now shrunk to half its size. They did a tissue sample. It is not malignant. It is a miracle. God is alive and on the throne. That's what prayer can do. And so we still believe in these days that prayer changes things. Man don't heal, but God heals and he works through men. So the apostles laid hands and people were saved. They were raised up. And uh, so tonight I'm going to talk a little bit tonight and hope maybe to answer some of your questions on what the Bible says about Salvation is speaking with tongues. So for lack of a better term, uh, a biblical perspective on tongues and salvation. So this is going to be part one tonight. I'm certain I will not get through this. We will pick back up. Um, next Wednesday, by the way, next Wednesday, we will not have service next Wednesday. Look at your neighbor and tell them no service next Wednesday. All right, going to give you time to start preparing that Thanksgiving meal and be with your family. Many families are getting together, and this is a good thing. And uh, so I'm going to give you Wednesday night to be with your family, but we will come back the Wednesday after. And so wherever we end, we're going to pick back up and continue on with this lesson. So I hope to answer some questions. Now, let me begin by saying it's, it's well known that terminology in the New Testament varies. One, the author of one book may use a specific word in the original, and the translators translated it one way, and in another scripture, when a different person speaks it, or even the same person speaks it, the same original text is translated a different way. Um, and so, in doing so, it's well known that terminology varies. In one book, one may prefer a certain word to describe uh, essentially the same thing in another word. So, for the sake of, of understanding, being born of the Spirit in Scripture is no different than being filled with the Spirit or being baptized with the Spirit. Okay, so these are all, it's all, if you go back to the original text and study the original text, you're going to discover that it all means the same thing. When people say, some say Holy Ghost and others say Holy Spirit, uh, that's not that's not one right and one wrong. That's just that's the that's just the different way of saying the same thing: the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And so these terminologies. So being born again of the Spirit is no different than being filled with the Spirit or being baptized with the Spirit. So you're going to see some of these terms interchange. And so I need to get. I need to get the, this kind of in your, in your mind uh, while we are starting so that you're thinking. Um, and, and I often hear people misuse certain scriptures and certain things, and they say things, and I believe that there's meanings to words that we need to be careful about what we are saying and how we're saying it. I hear people that I know that may say they are spirit, they're a spirit-filled Christian. That's a common term today, right? Spirit-filled Christian. Yet, they may deny the infilling of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking with other tongues. And so therefore they say they're a Spirit-filled Christian, but they do not believe in speaking with other tongues. And, and usually it, it, those kind of don't work together because usually what I think they mean is that at one certain time they believed on the Lord, and that's good. Everybody say that's good. They believed on the Lord. They had an emotional experience 
Because in their heart, they believed in their heart. They confessed with their mouth. They, 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 it was real for them. It was a moment of them believing on the Lord and confessing with their mouth. And they became emotional. And that emotional experience uh, was misunderstood as the infilling of the Holy Spirit when it was only an emotional experience. Stay with me for a little while. I feel like I'm dragging a log behind me tonight as I'm walking. I need a little help here tonight. So being feel a spirit-filled Christian is more than just believing and having an emotional experience. This may not mean that they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to be very straightforward because I'm going to create the tension that has to be created in this Bible study to make you care to hear what else I have to say. But I can't find in the Bible where there is a Christian life outside of the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Bible said he does not belong to Christ. All right, I know i got to prove everything I say. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Brother Mike's going to help me. I was going to look back at the screen just as I did. Those lights knocked my eyesight out. So I'm going to trust it's up there. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. You're going to want to write this down because I made a bold statement that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Let's see what Romans 8, 9 says. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, what? You got to talk back to me. I got to hear you up here. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it is the indwelling or infilling, there's those words, the infilling or the indwelling or the residence of the Holy Spirit that regenerates or causes the rebirth in us outside of being filled with the Spirit, we're none of His. All right, Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. Say amen when Brother Mike gets it up there. I can't look at the screen. Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not about works. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Anybody with me now? So it's not about the works that you've done. You can feed the homeless, give to the poor, work around the church, donate time, teach classes, minister to people, but it's not about any works, not about how much money you give, not about anything else. It is His mercy that He saved us, but He did it by the washing of regeneration and the what? The renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's how, that's how, we, that's how we are. We're saved not by, by the right, not by righteousness. So you don't get good enough to get God. Well, I know some real, real good people. Doesn't matter. That's, that, that's good. That's good. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. It's good to be, to be righteous. That's a good thing. Everybody say that's a good thing. It's good to be righteous, but that's not salvation. Jesus told Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be what? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. Good works won't get you to heaven. Shaking a preacher's hand won't get you to heaven. Works of righteousness won't get you to heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of God, he said. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is yet old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus responds directly back to Nicodemus' question and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born, how? Of the water and of the Spirit. Water and Spirit. Baptism and Holy Ghost. Water and Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's strong. So how do we know? How do we know that, that someone has been baptized and someone received the Holy Ghost? Let, let, me, let me just take a moment, all right? It's just us home folks here tonight, all right? I, I don't mind. I don't, I, don't, I don't really mind. Some people ask, I, I want to do a private baptism. I don't want nobody to be here. don't want anybody to see me. don't want... And, and we do that. But I'm not a proponent. I'm not a proponent. There's several reasons why. I think it's great for the church body to witness and see somebody. I don't want, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in that day, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So I, I'm not preaching this as a doctrine. I'm just talking about personal, personal preference. If somebody, the only way I can get somebody baptized is in a private baptism, I will baptize them if it's the only way that I can get them baptized. But I want to encourage, if there's anybody in this room or anybody that you talk to or anybody, if you can talk them into being baptized in front of the, uh, of the congregation, I, I think it is strengthening for them and the congregation. Because baptism is more than just a public confession, but it is a public confession and it is strengthening for the body. And I think when people witness someone baptized in Jesus' name, it helps them to understand, well, obviously, the pastor, whoever's baptizing them, has asked them, have you repented? Have you made up your mind to walk away from your old life and now walk a new life? And when the answer to that is yes, and you have made a decision to be baptized, now we know that when you go down in water, calling on the name of the Lord. When we baptize somebody, I always hand the microphone because I want the church to hear when we baptize them. We baptize them in the, in the biblical formula of the way they were baptized in Scripture. The only way. Baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. You find no other place in scripture how anybody was ever baptized any other way other than calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to do it the Bible way. So we baptize them and when the church witnesses that we know that it's not works, it's nothing else. There is a promise from God to them that they are going to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's their promise. It's to you. It's to everyone. And so this promise, now how do we know that that promise is fulfilled? We saw them baptized, and now we know they have a promise, but how do we know that this promise of the Holy Ghost is theirs? How do we know that what Peter preached about on the day of Pentecost when they said, men and brethren, what do we do to be saved? He said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do we know? We, 
somebody repents, they change everything. That is a personal decision. When they make the personal decision, it is clear that they made the personal decision when they move to water baptism and say, I'm ready to be baptized. And therefore, when we baptize them in Jesus' name, I don't want any of our ministers who baptize, don't you mumble when you get to the point of baptizing them and afraid somebody's going to hear. You say it strongly and loudly. We baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the saving name. So we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ because that's the way the Bible says that we are to be baptized. So we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they come out of the water, there is a promise. So now how do we know that they've received the promise? So let's, let's take a look because this is, this is Scripture. We're letting Scripture speak for itself. What is the initial evidence? How do we know that the Holy Ghost is there? So let's talk about the initial evidence. Now, none of us ever have the same experience as someone else. If I went around the room tonight, and for time's sake, I won't have people stand and ask this, but if you're ever teaching a small group and you just have a few people, you could do this and ask them, tell me about your experience when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And somebody may say, man, I, uh, they're, they're, you know, this happened to me, that happened to me, I felt this way. You know, I, I, so, so there are many different experiences. Everybody has their own experience, and they interpret that experience in different ways. But there is the same sign. That is the universal sign that somebody has been filled with the Holy Ghost, and that is to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. That means it's not taught by man. You're not taken in a back room somewhere and told this is what you say but it is between God and man, and they speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance. This is the way that I say it. When you are speaking in English and your vocabulary runs out as you are praising and glorifying God and speaking of His greatness and His goodness, and you can't think of words to say, and something is on the inside wanting to bubble out, stop trying to control it and preventing it from happening. You just let it roll out, and you let your soul speak to heaven, and as your soul speaks to heaven, you will begin to speak in a language that you never learned, and it is a sign that the Holy Ghost has come at you have yielded your entire person to him and he is now filling you and as the Holy Ghost is coming in there is an utterance coming out and you are speaking as the Spirit is giving that utterance and it is not a language that you ever learned and English is not good enough and it flows from in you to out of you out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water so there's many different experiences, but the same sign. They speak with other tongues. Let's look at Scripture, Acts chapter 10, verse 43 through 48. To him, all the prophets witness. Let me stop for a moment and go back to what I was just saying because I, I, I need to make sure that everybody's clear on this. Many different experiences, but the same sign. The sign, the evidence is, the, is of the infilling of the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. Now, our late bishop, Brother Paul Price, told of his, his receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost when he was 10 years old. I believe that's correct. 10 years old. I've heard him tell it so many times. And he's talked about his experience. And he said when he received the Holy Ghost, he was at the altar. He was praising God. He had repented and been baptized. He was praising God. And he said he saw a light come down out of heaven and he saw the light coming down and he said the light got closer and closer and closer and as he saw the light as it got closer and closer and closer to him he said he began to speak in another in another language and receive the baptism of the holy ghost from that many others had a similar experience where as they were praying they saw a light so therefore somewhere somewhere through time somebody wrote a, a song, I saw the light, I saw the light. It wasn't because of Brother Price. That's not really what it's talking, that song's talking about, but saying I saw the light of truth, that's what the song's talking about. But he said he saw a light. Others had the same light. And therefore following that was a whole group of people 
who came and prayed, but they never saw the light. And yet they would speak with other tongues, but they didn't see the light. And they adapted that to the idea that I must not have received the same Holy Ghost that somebody else received because I didn't see the light. My point, your experience. Let me tell you my experience when I received the Holy Ghost. I was very young as well. I was at the altar praying. It was a Thursday night, February 25th, 1972. On a Thursday night, Sister Jean Holland from Jackson, Mississippi, had preached a sermon in Rosevine, Texas. And I had repented and been baptized, and I was seeking the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as I had not been baptized, my, I, I had repented and was seeking the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was February. My dad was hoping that, you know, I waited a while to be baptized because it was cold. And so we didn't have a baptistry in our church. And uh, everybody that got baptized had to get baptized outside. You had two choices. You had Granny Ferguson's pond that we would go in to be baptized. Or the neighboring church uh, over in San Augustine, Texas, had a baptistry that was outside under a big pine tree full of pine straw. And they would scoop the pine straw out and baptize you. It had no heater in it. It was February. And it still gets cold enough in Texas that uh, when I was baptized the following Sunday, uh, following that at the end of February, 1st of March, and I was baptized in Jesus' name. I still remember the water was cold. And I was baptized in Jesus' name. When I received the Holy Ghost, I was praying, and I lost all sense of my surroundings. I didn't know who was praying with me. I lost all sense of who was praying with me. I lost all sense of, of I completely got in communication with God where I was speaking to God and didn't care who was around me, what was going on. There was people praying around me, and at first, I'm listening. And when people are praying and seeking for the Holy Ghost, you know, you got somebody around you, and somebody's shaking one side, and somebody's shaking the other, and somebody's laying hands, and somebody's saying, hold on, and somebody else is saying, turn loose, and somebody's saying, that's it, and somebody's saying, that's almost it. And it can be confusing, and people are like, oh, what, 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 are, what is all these people doing and saying? And what they're really supposed to be doing is praying with you. You should have one person coaching you, helping you, talking to you, and encouraging you. Other people around are encouraging you in prayer and creating an environment for you to pray so that all the people talking that's walking around the room, this is why when somebody is praying for the Holy Ghost, we should be very careful to not be off over here doing our own thing and kids running around because it becomes distractions. And the person praying, their senses are high and they're listening and they're hearing, who's that talking back there? And who's this over here? And so we get people around them, praying with them to create an environment for them as they are praying and seeking God. Those people are not giving them the Holy Ghost. God gives the Holy Ghost. So my experience, I had a group of people around me. I remember my dad was in front of me at the altar and was praying over me. And when I realized where I was and what was going on, I don't know how. And I know it wasn't, it wasn't that the Lord transposed me from the main floor up onto the altar. But when I realized somehow I had gotten from the floor to I was standing up on the altar bench. And back in those days, you remember the old altar benches? And we, we had an altar bench and I was standing on the altar bench. And I'm like, I'm not sure how I even got up here. Now that wasn't of God, that was of me or of man. But I was so caught up in my prayer that somehow, somewhere, whether my father set me up there, stood me up there, whatever, I don't know. And when I realized what was going on, I heard myself speaking in other tongues, and I realized people were rejoicing. My dad's shouting, and people around me were glorifying the Lord, and people were all excited with me, and I was hugging on everybody and loving on everybody and so excited about being filled with the Holy Ghost. So that's my experience. Every one of you can have your own experience, but the same sign. What is the same sign? This is the initial evidence. Everybody doing okay? All right, here we go. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him, shall receive remission of sins. Oh, so believing is all you have to do to receive remission of sins? No, believing always causes a response. The scripture is not contradicting itself. If you really believe in something, you're going to believe 
I really believe that baptism in his name is going to, be, is going to lead to and cause remission of sins by faith. So whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, remember, it's Peter that said that. He's the same one that told them clearly, repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he's saying whoever believeth in his name is going to receive remission of sins because if you truly believe in his name, you're going to be baptized in his name, and you're going to receive remission of sins. So Peter's not countering what he says. Remember, there's a lot of things that Peter said. The scripture said many other things he said. Those things are not written. And so somebody is writing of what Peter said. So while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost what did what? The Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that's speaking of the Jews, okay, that's just the term used. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, remember, it wasn't just for the Jews. Now it's on the Gentiles. How did the Jews know that the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost? How? How? You ever ask that question? How would the Jews know that the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost? Oh, verse 46 does explain how they knew. Would you read that verse 46 out loud with me? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew. The Jews knew that the Gentiles, because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew. So therefore, when I use the word evidence, it's how they knew. They heard them speak with other tongues. It was the initial sign. They, were, they knew. That's the only way you can know that someone has received the Holy Spirit is to hear them speak with tongues. Anywhere in Scripture you find somebody who received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture is going to clearly point out they heard them speak with tongues or someone who had previously spoke with tongues says they received the Spirit. So there was a witness that received that they had received the Spirit. Okay, so while Peter yet spoke the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them. They, that, they heard them speak with tongues, magnify God. Verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Wait a second. I thought all you had to do is believe on the Lord because there was a lot of people preach a doctrine. All you got to do is just believe. That's never, that's never the complete doctrine. That's somebody taking one scripture, building a doctrine out of he that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That is a true scripture, a good scripture, but it's not complete in of itself. You've got to take the whole teaching. And the teaching after they had received these folks, before they were baptized, received the Spirit. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? That's how it happened for me. I received the Holy Spirit on Thursday night, got baptized the following Sunday. And he commanded them, commanded them, told them, you got to do it. He commanded them, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. How? In the titles? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So speaking in tongues in the New Testament, as you'll see shortly, I believe that tongues are valid and a wonderful expression of the Holy Spirit's presence. As I examine the conversions in the New Testament, I find that speaking with tongues is an experience found all throughout the church. Now we find the word tongues, tongue or tongues, with the idea of speaking with tongues 27 times, this isn't one scripture, 27 times in the New Testament. Speaking in tongues was no doubt common in the New Testament church. So you don't have to be afraid of speaking with tongues or think, man, what are they doing? I've, I've had folks, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't call anybody out because I really do consider 
the pastor and some of the members of that church, my friends. But I heard about a church locally that on a midweek a pastor spoke of our church and says, don't be around those people, don't fellowship with those people, for they speak with tongues and tongues is of the devil. Of the devil. Where do you find that in Scripture? I can't, there's, the Scripture is full of speaking with tongues as a sign of the Holy Spirit infilling. So don't, if you ever hear somebody say that, don't get offended at that. It's, they don't understand. Don't get angry at them. Whatever you do, show the love of Jesus. Take them to the Scripture. Talk to them. Help them to see all through the Bible. It doesn't matter what mama told you, grandma told you, or anybody else told you. It matters what the Bible says. We want truth on the inward part. So 27 times. So speaking in tongues is no doubt a common practice in the New Testament church. So here's a question. Can a person be a Christian without being baptized in the Spirit? Because see, there's a lot of folks that say, well, I'll tell you what. This kind of doctrine is a, we're the only one saved. And I've got some folks, as a matter of fact, we have some folks that have estranged themselves from our church because they believe that I believe that we are the only people going to heaven. And that's false. Because anybody who obeys the scripture is going to be saved. But you must obey the scripture. You can't just make up your own way and say, hey, this is going to be my way. And I'm not saying that I have everything and understand everything, but what I do understand, I want to understand completely. And I'm open. If somebody can show me in Scripture where I'm erring, let me see it. Let me understand it because I want to be right with God according to the Scripture. Don't care what you think. I want to see what the Scripture says with many infallible proofs. So I want to go to Scripture. I don't want to just take one Scripture and build a whole doctrine off of one Scripture. I want to see a lot of Scripture involved so that I can clearly understand. If I err, I want to understand because I want to be saved. And I believe that's why you're here tonight, is I believe you want to be saved. And so don't be offended. The Word of God can offend, but don't be offended at my teaching tonight. If I'm coming on strong, stay with me. We're going to come back here a week or two, and I'm going to get through this subject, and I'm going to help you clearly understand these, these passages of Scripture. So the question, can a person be a Christian without being baptized in the, in, in the Spirit? Of course a person can be a Christian believer. They can be a Christian believer. That is, they believe in Christian ideals, and they believe in what they believe solely and strongly and firm in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they believe the Bible and they believe the Bible is true but maybe have not seen the revelation or the clear understanding of some of the things that I'm going to be teaching over the next few weeks. And so I'm not casting stones at someone. I'm just saying we've got to study the Bible and get it. We want to get this thing right. We want to know that we know. I don't want to leave question marks somewhere. I'm not throwing stones at somebody else. It doesn't matter that somebody doesn't understand my experience and speak evil toward me. I won't return that back to them or ever say who that was. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with some of those folks. I love them. And I pray that the Lord gives them a better revelation of speaking with other tongues and understands it is a gift from God. From God. That's what the Scripture says. There's no connection with Satan himself. As a matter of fact, I'm, not, I'm going to jump way ahead. The Bible said even the angels in heaven desire to look into this. But they can't. Because the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is for the church. It's for the saved church. So a person can be a believer and believe in Christian ideals without being filled with the Spirit. So I'm not going to say somebody is not a Christian. When I speak loosely of Christendom, I'm speaking of those who are believers. They believe in Christ. So can a person have an overwhelming experience that may lead them to a deeper walk with the Lord and not speak with tongues? Absolutely. I know people who went to an altar, prayed, repented. 
I know people whom God has delivered from alcohol, nicotine, abuse, all sorts of things that have never seen the revelation and understanding of Jesus' name, baptism, and filling of the Holy Spirit. Yet that is a powerful work that only God can do that delivered them from that. Never diminish their testimony of what God has done. Never. I'm not diminishing that. They can be led to a deeper walk. Every one of us and all of us in this room, even those who have spoken with other tongues, never think, well, now I have arrived. No, there's always deeper experiences in God for us to go. So a person can be changed by God through prayer and have an overwhelming emotional experience that may be real effective and affecting, leading them closer to God without them speaking with tongues. Can a person be, here's the next question, can a person be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking with tongues? Here is my question, here's my answer. And I will show scripture to support my idea. Can a person be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking with tongues? Here's the answer. You will not find in scripture where someone was filled with the Holy Ghost without them speaking with tongues or without someone who had previously spoken in tongues that was there who said they had received the Spirit. Which gives me a little sign into if they said that, they must have known that they did. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latches of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of God to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time nor the season which the Father has put in his own power. Verse 8, here you go. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Next scripture, Acts chapter 11, verse number 12. Say amen when you're ready, Acts 11, verse number 12. And the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, the six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into a man's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell thee whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Who, who was it telling them how they would be saved? Peter. Who was we talking about in the book of Acts? Peter, same guy. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. How? Say it, say it with me. As on us at the beginning. Anybody with me now? See, you're going to see this over and over. It fell on them as it fell on those in the beginning. How did it fall on those in the beginning? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're in one mind, one place, one accord. Suddenly there comes a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And how do they know? And began to speak with other tongues. When the Holy Ghost fell, what happened? They began to speak with other tongues. What did he say? The Holy Ghost came as it did on us in the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that John said, I indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then, so therefore that earlier scripture. Here's the whole purpose. Now I remembered. I remembered what John said and now I know what John was talking about when he said you got to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He's saying it's going to fall on you. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's going to fall on you like it did them at the beginning. Then I remember the word of the Lord how he said John indeed baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost for as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's not the doctrine. See, see, you see that? 
Is that just clear to me? Are you with me? Who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard this things, these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. In the book of Acts, there are several instances where believers spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost first came upon them. Everybody doing okay? You want me to go on or you want me to stop? Well, that was mixed reviews right there. Okay, I'm going to stop. I think, I think the stops had it. I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to pick up right here. All right, you're going to remember this? You're going to mark it in your notes? We're going to come back right here. In the book of Acts, there are several instances where believers spoke with tongues when the Holy Ghost first came upon them. We're going to pick up right here, and we're going to go all through the book of Acts Everywhere we find that people received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues. All right? God bless you. Thank you for paying attention tonight. Thank you for inspiring me with your desire to learn, desire to know. We're going to get through this. We're going to come out the other side, and there's going to be some people that are going to say, I know that I know that I know that I know. How do I know? Because I have spoken tongues when the Holy Ghost came. And if you're here tonight and you've never received the Holy Ghost and you've never spoke with tongues, I'm telling you, the promise is yours and you can receive the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. It's yours. It's your promise. I want you to understand it clearly. I don't want you to do it just because I say it. But it's yours and it's your promise. Stand with me all over this room right now. Lift your hands toward heaven and let's thank the Lord for the truth that endures to this generation. God, we thank you tonight.